0: Some of you may be familiar with the name Karl Walinda. And if you're not, let me introduce you to Karl Walinda. He was born in 1905 in Germany to a family who for many, many years toured across Europe with their aerobatic works. He, at age six, began to perform with his family, but it wasn't until age 16 he created his own act, a four-person pyramid. It had a person balancing on a chair on top of a pole, on top of the shoulders, on two men, on bicycles, on the wire, 50 feet in the air. It's called insanity, but that's what it was that he did. Carl Walenda would tour and for the rest of his life. 50 and 60 years would continue to do his tightrope work. And some amazing things is what Carl was able to do. He walked across the Tallulah Gorge, uh, Gorge in Georgia. At age 69, he set the record by walking 1,800 feet in Kings Island, if you've ever been to that theme park out in the Ohio, Ohio, Kentucky area. But if you know anything about his story, you know that age 73, he attempted a walk in, in Puerto Rico, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and it's during that walk that he fell to his death. It wasn't due to his age. What would happen was there was a guiding wire that wasn't properly attached And because it wasn't properly attached, he lost his balance, and he lost his life. If there is something common between all of us, if there's something that we all struggle with, and yet if there is something that we crucially need, it is balance. The understanding, the pursuit, the maintaining of a life of balance, a life well-ordered, relies on proper balance. Balance is one of those words that I think all of us can appreciate because of how we see it in life. And Carl's example is one that reminded us that when we get off balance, dangerous, even deadly consequences can follow. What comes to your mind when you think of balance? What pictures come to your mind? You might get the idea of a, of a balanced beam. You think of gymnastics and walking across it carefully and not following Maybe you think of a seesaw, if you ever did that back in the day. That was a trust exercise, wasn't it? Up and down with someone on the other end. Or maybe as a picture on the screen, maybe you just think of scales. What makes one end go up and the other goes down depends on which end a greater weight is placed. Isn't that life? We, we place weight, importance, priorities in certain areas of life But if we don't properly spread, place that weight, we find ourselves uneven. Uneven in the way that we think, uneven in the way that we reason, even uneven in the way that we behave. When you think about balance in life, you think about ways we apply balance. We talk about a balanced diet. We used to talk about balancing the checkbook, but the balanced finances... But often, if we talk about balance, we think about balancing our time. Time at work, time at home, time at leisure, time at work. Have you thought in Scripture of all the principles that God has laid before us in His Word that require balance? Like, for instance, we're told in Colossians 3 that in whatever we do, we are to work heartily, ask for the Lord enough for men. And so he says, when you work, you're to work hard. But we also find principles like in Ecclesiastes 10, which talks about if you only work, you're going to drive yourself into a rut. And so there's the importance of rest. I'm flying ahead, guys. Hold on. If I keep flying, just stop me. I'm flying. It's stop Stop me. <laughs> Hold on. I don't know what I've done. We're not balanced. All right. Philippians four talks about contentment. I'm really nervous to click this now contentment and being content, and Paul is applying it to money, but you get the general principle about being content in life, and yet he also says in chapter three and verse fourteen about not being content spiritually, that we continue to press in the girl, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to just just leave it here and i'll I'll come back to it. just leave it one more example, the balance between an eternal perspective focusing on what is to come, and yet not losing sight of what is today. Look at Second Peter 3, beginning of verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. What's Peter saying? He says, don't lose sight. Jesus is coming again, and this is what's going to take place. But look at verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godly, godliness? What's he saying? What is to come ought to make a difference in how I live now, today. The balance between eternal and present perspectives. Can you can you see? So much of what it is we are called to do and to think and to live requires a proper balance. One person said, catch me if I'm going too fast, here we go. Christianity is a system of balanced obligations. I might just point, if that's okay, I think... This has gone on the fritz. Balance obligations. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about balance. That's what we're going to talk about. Lord willing, with our time together, with my time with you, we're going to walk through the concept of balance. Not really balance in life per per se, about time and so forth. I want to talk about balance in our beliefs. And thus, balance in our behavior. There are some crucial things that we are called to understand, to believe, to accept. But if we're not balanced and that we reason and believe and think, it's going to result in an unbalanced and a catastrophic way of living. And so, I want today just to illustrate it. I want to illustrate what we're talking about and where we're going to be going simply by looking at a balanced faith. We're going to Romans chapter 4. Here's what's going on in Romans chapter 4. Paul is continuing a point he has made back in chapter 3 and verse 28 where he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's his point he is making. That man is not justified before God. And a right standing before God because he has kept the law of God perfectly. No, it's going to be on the basis of faith. And so the way he chooses to illustrate this point is by showing Abraham He's talking primarily to a Jewish audience, and so he goes in verse 1 of chapter 4 to one of the most upheld figures in the Jewish history, to Father Abraham, to make the point that Abraham was not in a right relationship with God. He was not justified simply because he was a Jew. He wasn't justified because he lived a perfect life. It was on the basis of his faith. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. He takes us in verse 3, and he says, Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want you to keep your markers here in Romans 4. I wanted to explain what's going on. What happened here? What is the history he's talking about with Abraham? And this takes us all the way back to the first book in our Bibles, to Genesis chapter 12. There's a history to what's taking place, to what Paul is quoting from. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes some amazing promises to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 4 tells us he was 75 years old when this this took place. Down in verse 7, the Lord gives another blessing, another promise, when he says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. Now, Abraham at 75 has given some amazing promises, but those two significant promises, the promise that he will have a great nation and the promise that this land will be passed through his descendants, both depend on the same thing. He and his wife have to have at least one child, and at this moment, they had none. Well, time passes, and as the saying goes, he's not getting any younger. And we get to Genesis chapter 15, where our quote out of Romans 4 comes. Now Abraham is about 85 years old, if chapter 16 gives us a reference point. 85 years old, and what we see is Abraham's really struggling with this. How is it God could give me these amazing promises, and yet we just haven't had a child? And so God does something significant. God reassures Abraham of the promise that is to come. um, I'll get right there. By taking him outside and showing him the stars. He shows him the stars of the sky. Verse 5 of chapter 15. He took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens. And count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Here it is, Abraham. I have kept my word. You don't have to come up with a solution. You may not understand it, but I want you to look in the sky. I wasn't making this up. If you can count the stars, that's how many your descendants will be. I mean what I said. You will have a great nation. And the amazing thing, what makes it such an important moment in his life is verse 6, that he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He believed in the promise of God. Now, a few things you might have seen when we're going here. First off, this isn't the first time that Abraham believed in the Lord. That's not what this verse is about. In fact, you may remember when Abraham was living in Ur of the Chaldees, the Lord came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave. I want you to leave from your home, and you're going to go to a land, and I'm not telling you where you're going to go. You're going to follow me. Because the Hebrew writer says, By faith, by faith. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So this moment here is not the first time he believed in God. He's been demonstrating faith along the way. We we'll also need to make the point that this isn't the only moment of Abraham being justified by faith. In fact, there's a moment when Abraham and his warriors go and rescue Lot. And we meet this fascinating person named Melchizedek. And you remember what he says about Abraham. He says, And he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He recognized the right standing, the blessings that God had on Abraham, even at that point. Here's what's interesting. This phrase of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 of Abraham Abraham believing in God and God accounting it or reckoning it as righteousness is used all throughout the New Testament. It's as if the Holy Spirit and these inspired writers are using this one phrase from this one moment to summarize a lifetime of faithful obedience to God and God reckoning him as righteousness. For instance, you got your notes, write this down that Paul uses it in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 9, but he ties it back to the promise of God in Genesis 12. And then, even later on in our context in Romans chapter 4, Paul uses it, but he points to the promise, the promise that he's going to have a child 14 years after the events of chapter 15. Then, James is going to use this same phrase in James chapter 2, and he's going to talk about it after Isaac is already born. That's the point. Because you might ask well, Why is Paul using this? Why does Paul, out of any moment in, in Abraham's life, why is he using this? Here's the main point. The text says, Abraham believed God. And God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham did not earn his way into the family of God. And we can't earn our way into the family of God. The only way to earn our salvation is perfect obedience. Perfect law keeping. And if that's the case, we left perfect behind a long time ago. There's a word that's used here in Romans chapter 4, and it's used 11 times in this section. It's this word, counted. The word means, it's a technical term, it means to make a deposit into someone's account. Well, God didn't place, make an account on the behalf of Abraham because he was a perfect person. Because he had perfectly obeyed God. No, the basis of God accounting Abraham with righteousness was on the basis of faith, of his faith. God made a promise. Abraham believed. And in fact, right back in Romans chapter 4, if you're there, right in the heart of it, in chapter, in verse 11, 10 and 11, he makes this point. Abraham wasn't ba- well, wasn't counted as righteous because he was circumcised. In fact, it wasn't because of circumcision. It wasn't even when he was circumcised. God saw this faith in Abraham before he was circumcised, and this is the major point. God's ultimate plan has been this, that he wants to count account, to deposit the righteousness, a right standing before God, in all people, circumcised and uncircumcised, in all people who would have the same faith that Abraham had. So that, in verse 16 of our context, Abraham wouldn't just be the father of the Jews. He would be the father of all those who would walk in the same steps of faith. Rather than this is what it's about. little work in Romans 4. We're going to come right back here as to what this is all about. Here's the main point. This is why Paul used this. God made an amazing promise to Abraham. A man who was nearly 100 years old And a wife who was nearly 90 and he said i'm going to make a nation out of you and bless the world through your descendants and he believed he believed that that, that's the main point so right out of here right in this context we see two major components of authentic faith right in romans chapter four two components of authentic faith and this is where our concept of balance comes in one component is faith is formed by trust taking god at his words i want us to go a little later in romans chapter 4 when we see god giving the promise again and abraham believing again verse 16 it says for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants not only those who are of the law but also to those who are of the faith of abraham who is the father of us all as it is written a father of many nations i have made you And the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being what does not exist. And hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in the faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. would not you love that? God made the promise, and he believed. I know that Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, that faith is being sure of of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. But I'll tell you, brethren, if you want a great definition of faith, Look at Romans 4 and at verse 21. Faith is being fully assured that what God promises, he is able to do. That's faith. God makes a promise, he is able to keep it. God gives his word, he will fulfill it. That's faith. And so you see in one sense, faith is formed by trust. Notice the faith of Abraham. He believed in the person of God in verse 17. Now these aren't empty words coming from an empty place. That God is real. That God exists. And not only does he exist, he believed in the power of God because he believed that God could do all things, including taking something that seemed dead, a dead end, hopeless, impossible, and allowing it to work. He used it with his own life. 100 years old, his wife almost 90 years old, the biological components don't work at that age. But he believed that God could bring life where there was death. Here's the thing. Abraham who believed that there, that God can bring life in death, is going to believe that same thing a few years later when God says, I want you to kill your son, the very son on whom hinges all these promises, because the Hebrew writer says that he considered him able to raise men even from the dead. That's faith. I may not see it, I may not understand it, but I know he can do it, because ultimately he believed in the promises of God, verses 20 and 21. God said it. God said it, and I believe it. Now here's the thing, brethren, that's the point. Catch all this about faith being formed by trust. I may not get it. I may not fully understand it. I may not know how or why, but if God promises it, it will come true. If God has given a promise that he can forgive our sins, if God has promised that he is with us, if God has promised that he can heal the sick, I I may not see it. The doctors may not be able to explain it, but I believe God. It's trust. Faith is formed by trust. But here's the other component. Here's our balance. Faith is demonstrated by obedience, by acting upon God's words. We demonstrate our faith in what we do. Now, there are some who look at Romans 4. If you look down at verse 4, it says, Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as to what is due, but the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And they say, Well, well, well faith is trusting in God, but there's really no works involved. It's reality. The word works in the New Testament is used a lot of different ways, and the context is going to tell us how that word is meant to be used. The word works here is talking about trying to earn God's favor through perfectly obeying his laws and his commandments. That's what he's talking about here. That Abraham being right with God was not on the basis of him fully and completely completing God's commandments. It doesn't mean we never work, because even Jesus said the works that we are to do before God... Is faith. Faith is a work. They said to Jesus, well, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent. Faith is a work. Think of this. Work through this with me just for a moment. When you think of the life of Abraham, from beginning to end, we've got from Genesis 12 forward, is his life not a demonstration of faith through everything he did? Think for a moment. God told him, I want you to leave your home of Ur-Chaldees, and I want you to go to a land that I'm telling you. How do we know he believed God? Because he left. Because he left his home. When God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child, it's not through any kind of plan B you're trying to concoct. You two, the two of you, even in your ancient age, are going to have a child. They believed God. How do we know they believed God? Because they continued to have relations with one another. The relations which would provide the child. When God told Abraham, I want you to take your son, the son I promised to you, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain, he believed. How do we know he believed? Because he took his son up on the mountain. Faith is demonstrated through what we do. Do you see the balance that exists? Here's why that's important. Because obedience without trust is a blind faith. If I have obedience, but I have no trust, I have a blind faith. I have a little quiz I want to do. I don't want you to shout out the answers. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the answers. I just want to see how many of you are like me. I've lived in Texas now seven years, and there's some things about this glorious state I just don't know. How many of you know the state bird of Texas? Thank you. I'm not the only one. How many of you know the state motto of Texas? Okay. How many of you know could recognize on the sheet the Texas flag? How many of you know how many times Ricky Jenkins has mentioned Texas in the sermon? Too many. No, I'm just teasing. All right. And here's the reality. Some and their relationship and walk with God is a lot like how I'm a Texan. I'm here. In fact, I've been here for a while, but there's a lot about this state I don't know. I'm just ignorant about. And there are some And they do things, and it's in relation to God, but they don't know why. And so I take the Lord's Supper on on a Sunday, but I don't know why I take it on a Sunday. In fact, I don't know why it's bread and fruit of the vine. Pizza's really good. I don't know why we're doing these things. That we sing every Sunday. We sing songs, but I don't know why we sing them. That we worship God and walk before Him, and there's some things that we do and we don't do. There are some who do right actions. They just don't know why they do them. Obedience without knowledge. You think, is that even possible? Do you remember when Paul was in Acts 17, he says, I passed along and observed the objects in Athens, he says, of of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown. Some versions will say as ignorance. This I proclaim to you. Is it possible to offer worship, to do good deeds and not know why? Yes, that's faith. Well, that's, that's works without trust. Obedience without trust, it's blind. I'm doing things, I just don't know why I'm doing it. But here's the opposite. That trust without obedience is dead. It's a dead faith. That I say I believe in God, but there is nothing in my life that would actually show it? That's what James would talk about. James grabs on to the same Abraham, this same point that Paul is making, and he uses it this way. Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What's he saying? An inactive faith is a non-existent faith. Can we hear that? An inactive faith is no faith at all. There is no faith. I mean, we might use passages like this one, which says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And there are some who have said, faith, real faith, belief, is trust without action. Trusting without action. Look at this verse. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's trusting and thinks about God and what he has promised, how would you know someone believed this? They would be diligently seeking God. Do you see? How would you know someone actually believed these things about God? Because they would be demonstrating it in their lives. You would see it in the way that they live and think and behave ever before there was a romans 4 there was a romans 1 and paul said this is my goal my aim it's not to bring about the trust of faith the mere knowledge of faith his goal was to bring about the obedience of the faith i heard a story this week about a town somewhere in texas i couldn't recognize the name of it but that's again i've I've failed a lot of texas tests so there's a town in texas and this town had gone through a drought and so historically They called in all these preachers and they said, we want you to pray for rain. Pray for it to rain. And the one who prays the best prayer, we're going to write it up and put it in the paper. And so all these preachers showed up and they started to pray. And they were really eloquent. Some of these guys have been to colleges. They had some Greek and Hebrew and they were really pouring it out there. But there was one guy who came, simple country preacher. And he said a simple, short prayer prayer. And as soon as he was done, they said, you're the one. All the men said, why? Why did you choose him? And they said, simply because he brought an umbrella. Can you see the balance? What if I'm doing all the right things, but I don't know why I'm doing it? Then I don't really have faith. I have some good works, but I don't know why. And that's not going to lead me in the right direction. That's just going to lead me to being a philanthropist, not someone who's following and listening to to Jesus. But what if I have knowledge and trust in God, but I don't do anything with it? Then you have some good facts. Then you may have some Bible knowledge, but you don't have genuine faith. Because genuine, authentic faith, the faith of Abraham, is a faith that is balanced between trust and obedience. So let me ask this morning, I want you to think about this for me. We're just going to wrap right here, wrap it all up. Faith is trust and the demonstration of that trust. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The promise from God. Do you believe it? How do you know? How would I know I believe this? Because I'd stop trusting in my bank and in my funds, in my investments. And I would live all the more confident and assured, even in the face of great fears, as our brother preached so powerfully this morning, that if God is with me, anything is possible. I'm not going to be led by worry. I'm not going to be overcome by anxiety. I know that my trust is not in myself and in my power, but in God. That is faith. Demonstrate through what I do. What about this promise? This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do I believe it? How would I know? How would I know I actually believe this? Because I pray. And I would pray. And I would pray regularly. I would pray consistently. And I would pray powerfully if I really believed God hears me and will answer me if I'm praying according to His will, then I would be the one who prays more often than any other and praying so deeply about the things that matter the most. Pray it. I'd be one who speaks with God. Prayer, James says, offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins they will be forgiven him. Do I believe it? How would I know? But the doctor, the doctor has given a really bad diagnosis. He's used words that take our breath away. And they don't know what to do. They're out of answers. Do I believe it? How would I know I believed it? Because you pray. And you pray. And you never lose hope. You never give up. The doctors say it's done. They say it's final. They say there's no answer. But I believe he said he can heal the sickness. I believe that. He said that he can cure illnesses. Do I believe that? How would I know? Because I don't give up. I keep praying. And I keep waiting. And I keep trusting. And I keep turning to him. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Do you believe it? How do you know you believe? Because I'm looking today. I'm looking for Jesus to come. Have you been to DFW in a while? The left field? We do left field. Left field has those gates that just kind of open and close real quick. You got to be careful when you're exiting out of left field. But when you're waiting for someone to love you, especially if you're waiting with a child and they're waiting for their parents, every time that door opens, they look. Because they're just waiting. They know they're going to be right through that door. Am I looking today for Jesus? Have I even thought today he would be here, that he would come? How do I know I believe in this? I believe it. Well, how do you know you believe it? Because I'm living today as if today is going to be that day I get to see Jesus face to face. I'm living today as if this is the day he's going to return. That's how I know I believe this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe it? Do you believe his promise? How do you know? I don't run from my sins I don't hide them I don't blame them on other people that if I have stumbled and fallen in sin if I really believe this I come running to God with my burdens I come desperate before the throne and I bring them to him and I plead for grace and mercy but if I believe in this and I pray this prayer and I've given it to God I leave this prayer not full of guilt Not full of shame, I leave there confident. Not braggadocious, look what I did. I leave so thankful, so thankful. This is a God who just heard me and released me of my sins because of the grace of Jesus. I'm not living life as if I'm this broken vase. He just forgave me, so I'm going to live forgiven. I'm going to live like I'm right with God, and I'm going to live so thankful, so grateful for His grace. And you're going to see that. You're going to see that through my attitude, and you're going to see that through the way that I live. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? How would you know? How would you know? Right here, right now, this morning, could be a great opportunity to demonstrate your faith. In any of the promises we have mentioned, in any of the areas where our faith is tested, today could be an amazing moment for you to truly put that faith to work and to demonstrate what it is you believe in your God. If you believe this to be true and have not acted upon it, today is your day to prove you believe it to be true and are willing to do whatever it is your God says is necessary to be forgiven of your sins. It could be, though, good brethren, and I'll pray it with you, that while we are here and there's things we know the Lord has promised and we recognize what faith can look like, it may be that even right now as we sing this song, what we need to do in this pew is to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me today. Help me evermore to believe more, to deepen my faith and my trust in you. If we can help you this morning, encourage you this morning, right here's where you need to be. If we can help you, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at the We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but so thank you for connecting with us.